Hello, this is Paul Bainsfair and this is the IPA podcast. Today, I'm talking to the very talented and very successful Helen Cowcroft. Helen is unusual in that she has founded two successful advertising agencies, Miles Cowcroft, Brigginshaw Duffy in 1999, and then in 2013, Lucky Generals with Andy Nairn and Danny Brooke Taylor. I'm going to talk to Helen about the secret of her success and also the role that her MBA played in that success, as well as other things to do with the industry in general. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so here I am with Helen. Um, Helen, welcome to the IPA. Thank you very much for having me. Um, and I want to I want to embarrass you first of all by saying I think you're the most successful female advertising executive around at the moment, and I say that because you have been responsible for two successful startups, and I can't I can't think of anybody else that's done that. I find that thought of being. Uh... A successful female, or let alone the most successful one, very um, embarrassing. But I guess that's true. If you come to think about it, there aren't many women, or in fact, many people who've started two agencies. No. And as we were saying before we started, there aren't enough women that, that start agencies, full stop. And for you to have done two, I think, well, hats off. Chapeau, oh, thank you. And I, I always say, and I wish there were more women who uh, did start agencies, because it's an absolutely fantastic thing to do. So let's talk about starting agencies because most people who work in advertising or in agencies at least harbour the idea that they might one day do this. How did you come to do it once, let alone twice? What, what, what was the thing that made you jump, as it were, and, and take it on? Well, I think you're right. Many people in advertising do sit around in pubs and uh, in cafes talking about and thinking about their ideal team to start an agency and I certainly was one of those. But I can honestly say when we started MCBD, my friend Jeremy Miles uh, came up to me one evening at the end of, of a working day and said, do you fancy starting an agency? And well, I just said, like yes. <laughs> and just like that, you know, that's how, so I did not have the idea. It was absolutely Jeremy who came to Paul and Malcolm and myself and said, I think we should do this. And I hadn't really thought about starting at that point. I was still only 31. So pretty young, um, and I just thought, maybe I'll do it one day. But Jeremy was my first ever boss. He was the first boss that I had as a graduate trainee on my first day of work. I was put onto the Sainsbury's account at AMV. Uh, And so I'd worked with him a long time, and I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather start a business with. Paul and Malcolm, I just admired so greatly for their incredible work as well. And for me, it it was literally as immediate as, do you fancy starting an agency? Sure. Uh, uh, and then it all started to kind of unravel and become real from there on in. But I didn't, I didn't really stop and think about it. And it was a, it was a proper breakaway, wasn't it? I mean, you yes. were all at AMV, weren't we you? We were all at AMV and we were all, um, you know, relatively in senior positions and had all been there a long time. So it was quite a big deal. Um, and we took a lot of time to make that as amicable as possible. We, you know, we really handled that, I think, with real grace and dignity on both sides, uh, the management of, of AMV and, and us breaking away. And it became a very friendly um, uh, relationship, which was great. And to this day, you know, if, you, if you ever ask me, I have the greatest affection for AMV and the greatest admiration for AMV. Um, and you know, we're very lucky that they handled it the way they did. 
Well, you're, you are, well, obviously you, you put a lot of effort into making it a smooth kind of breakup, yes, as it were. Yes, we did. But um, it's, it's so hard to do that because, you know, as much as, I know, I know, because I broke, I broke away a bit from uh, Sarches. I yes. say a bit because there were other people involved that weren't Sarches. And it's like leaving the mafia, you know, when mm, you leave Sarches. I'm but sure. AMV had a much gentler reputation and obviously that, that worked out well for you. It did. It really yeah. did. That's no, fantastic. So um, when, you, when you left, um, you, 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 sort of what, you had an office, you started immediately, you had money to back you. How did all that work? So um, we ended up serving quite a long notice period so that things could be handled, the transition could be handled um, seamlessly at, at AMV. Um, but we absolutely did not start with any clients or anything. We took a tiny office on Great Titchfield Street uh, in, the, in the heart of the rag trade um, and we had no clients you know, one desk, four seats and a computer and, and that was it. So, and obviously because we delivered a friendly breakaway, part of our deal was you will not touch any of our people and any of our clients. So all of our contact lists, because we're all from one agency, were defunct. So we literally had to start from scratch. How long did it take to get your first client? Uh, we got our first phone call from a company which is now um, long gone called Brodie and Stone the week before we founded the agency well, via the wonderful Martin Jones of the AAR. Right. Um, and so we had, we, we had framed on our wall our first ever um, uh, monthly uh, fee, which I remember very well was £5,000. Uh, which had, which just about covered the rent, but no, we had to remortgage houses. We had to, you know, we put, it was all um, self-funded the startup, and we're on no salaries for the first eighteen months. Wow. Mm. Um, and how long did you did you run in MCBD for? It was pretty much a decade. So uh, we sold to a very very nice Canadian company called Cassette. Uh, and then did an earn out, but it was a decade before we did that. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I want to come back to how you started Lucky Generals sure. later on in the conversation, sure. because I want to also talk to you about the fact that you, you did an MBA before you yes. broke away and, yes. and started your agency, when you were in a, presumably you were an account director? I was actually um, new mean, business director. New business director. Yeah. So I'm asking for a particular reason, uh, which is that we're currently working here at the IPA on with the London School of Economics on the idea of, a, of an advertising-related MBA. Wonderful. Um, but I wanted to ask you about what, what motivated you to do that and, and whether you, you felt, as a result of that, it gave you, it equipped you, if you like, to do what you went on to do. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the... I mean, a couple of reasons that motivated me to do an MBA. I come from a family of academics. Every single person in my family, my mum, my dad, my sister and my brother... My, my uh, brother-in-law, they're all academics and all very high-flying academics. And I was somewhat the black sheep of the family, uh, having decided at a young age I wanted to act. I did a drama degree right. uh, and all of the rest of my family had doctorates and were professors and everything else. So I was, and then I went into advertising. So I was a somewhat the black sheep of the family and somewhere deep inside me, I always felt a little bit undereducated, which right. for, whether I was or not, I don't know. I did a great degree at, at um, Raw Holloway London University uh, in, in drama and theatre studies, which was a literature degree. Uh, but I always felt, oh, you know, perhaps I'm a bit undereducated. So that's one thing that motivated me. I think the second was I was very fortunate in my career at AMV. I started there as a graduate trainee, 
And I worked my way through. I was the youngest woman they'd ever put on the board at 27. Um, and then they made me new business director uh, pretty young at 28, 29. And I just felt, I think, as a young woman, that it was quite challenging to have really sensible, serious business-related conversations with senior clients, because there was quite often a big age disparity. There were quite often male clients and trying to engage um, them in conversations beyond advertising, which I think is an important part of your job when you're a senior account handler, you know, was quite challenging. So I got it into my mind that perhaps an MBA would educate me better into the world, into the broader world of business. Um, and so those two things collided, really. Um, and I went to see uh, Michael Bork, who was the chief exec of AMV at the time, uh, and said, I want to do this. And actually, no one had ever done it at AMV. Really? Uh, and he couldn't really understand why I wanted to do it. <laughs> right. uh, but he did very kindly allow me to do it. So I did a, I applied to London Business School uh, and I did a two-year MBA, part-time MBA. So you were working? Which, and I was working as new it. business director. And I have to say, it was an incredibly challenging couple of years because you would do a week's work and then do Fridays and Saturdays at college and then Sundays for homework so it was a very 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 intense period of my life and I always look back on that think I don't know how people do that when they've got young families jobs part-time MBA you you didn't have a young no I didn't have my kids at that point I don't know how I would have coped if I if I had but um so I guess I did the MBA at London Business School and I really gained a huge amount from it. So if you want to talk a bit more about... Yeah, idea. because I mean, one, one of the things... I mean, I feel that the... Uh, should, we, should we say that the language of finance... Yes. ...is the language that the chief exec... Indeed. ...and the chief financial officer of all of our clients Indeed. speak. Indeed. And I just feel that we, we don't have enough people within our agencies anymore that can do that. I think it used to be the case yes um, for different reasons when they just had more money and more time and now it's just more difficult so I'm I, would you say that that was the main advantage of, of having the MBA yeah I, th- I mean I think for me I mean I would absolutely I mean I think it's wonderful if the IPA are going to get involved with helping people have this kind of business education um, and, and for me there were two real benefits to doing an MBA one is to do with personal confidence and the other is to do with professional um contextual understanding and it's quite a funny story when I um, joined London Business School for the first time you have to do a thing called a GMAT which is one of these quantitative intelligence tests that uh, that people do uh, a bit like the SATs and I remember the class of 60 people um, everyone was asked to stand up and introduce themselves and sort of say a bit about themselves and the first guy up was a was a very strident American um, ex-marine and he stood up and said, hi, my name's Todd. I'm a Marine and I've got a, a GMAT of 820. And then he, by putting his score out into the class, everybody else in the class then said their score. Right. And I had the lowest score oh, no. <laughs> in the class. So right. I'm like, hi, I'm Helen Calcraft. I'm from advertising and my GMAT is 420. Yeah. And it was just one of those awful moments where you feel I'm, I'm going to have terrible imposter syndrome. I'm in the wrong place. I'm never going to survive this MBA. And then ironically, there were two of us who completed the MBA with distinction and I was one. Oh, well so what's fascinating about that? No, it was not. <laughs> 
what's fascinating about that, yeah, yeah. it also what is fascinating and pleasing is that what you don't realise in the advertising industry is how well educated you actually are. Mm. Most people spend years and years and years on one topic in one company, learning one brand or one strand of business. And actually what advertising does is give you marvellous breadth of mm. your education in all kinds of different businesses. And it also gives you the ability to construct an argument which a lot of people don't have in their business, in their day-to-day -day business life. So there was definitely a personal confidence thing that, that taught me I don't need to feel as though there's a whole world out there that I can't belong to because mm. I'm in advertising and that's fluffy. And presu I presume you were the only person from our world on yes, that course. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely I was. Yeah. And then the other thing I think that, I mean, of course, and you're absolutely right to say this, advertising people don't necessarily learn the language of finance they don't learn um, you know, how some of the inner workings of, of, uh, of, of, the, of the brands that they're working on, you know, the other dynamics mm. beyond marketing and communication that are, that are keeping managing directors and chief execs busy and keeping them awake at night. In fact, marketing's quite often you know, the least of their yeah. worries. Uh, and I think that's tremendous to start to be able to understand that. And most of all, what doing the MBA taught me is what questions to ask. Mm. and to be confident to know what questions to ask. You know, what are the drivers of profitability of your company? You know, to be able to, to walk around a balance sheet and be able to ask questions of, about it, to really understand the drivers of a business as opposed to the consumer drivers of a brand. Mm. And I think uh, the more people in advertising who can gain that context and gain that education, the better we will be and the stronger our relationships will be with senior clients. I, I we could, constantly I... bleat about this. We're not in the C-suite. Yeah. We need to think about how we're going to go you know, up the food chain, but actually you have to earn the right. You have to earn the right to have a conversation with the chief executive of a major company. Well, I, I obviously agree with that totally. And... I think there's, a, um, there's an interesting paradox at work, which is that what those chief execs and those chief finance officers are trying to do is achieve growth. Yes. Generally. Yes. And what we, advertising people, are very good at is helping companies achieve growth. Indeed. But because we don't, we have, there's this sort of disconnect in how we talk. We talk about brand values and all that, and they just turn off. Mm. Um, they tend to face towards the um, consultants. They do, the management consultants. Who are very good at, you know, efficiencies and yes. productivity and yes. all those things, which yes. of course are all buzzwords, but not so good as us at growth. So I think if we can square that circle, it will be, you know, wonderful win-win. But I think um, two years of weekends is a very, very big demand. And yeah. if you can you know, structure a more modern way of working, a more flexible way of working and to gain that education. And I that's think exactly, that would be a really without going into it now, that's, that's another podcast, fantastic. but that's our, our plan. So let's come back to you. Mm. Um, I think the, um, you know, I said at the beginning, to, to, to have done two startups is, is truly impressive. Um, but what was, the, what was the motivation? Presumably, you, you know, it wasn't money. You'd done quite well. You'd sold your first agency. There you were thinking about your, the rest of your life. What, what made you think of doing it again? Oh, I think the second time around, it was to do with incredibly strong relationships um, with Danny and Andy. The three of us really did, as a trio, do our very best work of our careers together. 
Um, so I think it was really, if I, if I hadn't started an agency with Danny and Andy, I wouldn't have started were an you, agency. Were you so Andy and I, where, yes, where Andy and I had worked together right from the very early days of MCBD. So he joined MCBD and was a shareholder in the company. This is Andy Nairn. Andy Nairn. Right. Um, and he, we'd worked together for 15 years. And then Danny joined us at MCBD when Paul and Malcolm were looking for succession. They Danny Brooke Danny, Taylor. Yeah, Danny Brooke Taylor, sorry, yes, Danny Brooke Taylor. Uh, and the three of us uh, just had a really, really special bond. Um, and I had been thinking about leaving the industry. So we had, we'd been part of a very, very difficult merger where MCBD was merged with Dare, uh, a really, really difficult period in all of our lives, not through the fault of any of the people at either Dare or MCBD, but a rather ill-conceived and then um, private equity-backed, you know, it was quite a difficult mm. year. And I think we just had unfinished business. But I had been thinking about leaving the industry entirely um, and, you know, going on to be a marketing consultant that was sort of out of the industry. And Danny and Andy took me out for lunch for my birthday and rather uncharacteristically ordered two bottles of wine. They're not, none of us are, are big on drinking at lunchtime. Like, you can't drink at lunchtime anymore in this industry. And then I thought, why are they doing this? And then they said, you feel like doing starting an agency? And oh, again... So they, they had been plotting behind your yeah, back. Yeah. Again, I said, we should definitely do it. And mm. that, I think, was... You know, it's been an extraordinarily wonderful period of my and life. And that was when? When did you start? So Lucky, Lucky Generals Jones. is uh, just coming up for seven. We're going to be seven in May. Brilliant. Yeah, which has gone by in a heartbeat. Yeah, and you've you've done a subsequent deal with Omnicom, haven't you? Yes, and again, um, I wish I had sort of great, you know, a great sort of story of how how I planned these things out. But um, this was about uh, a gentleman called Troy Ruhanan who runs uh, TBWA globally, who just came in for a coffee one day out of the blue, and said, "Look, I know you guys are really young, and I know this is probably entirely the wrong time, but I'm." crazy about your work and I think you're fantastic and I want you to join the Omnicom family uh, and initially you know of course we said well, it's far too early and absolutely not but Omnicom you know I mean I think they're an incredible holding company in how they understand the entrepreneur mentality and they've been a fantastic partner largely because they've just said we trust you go do your thing that's, um, that's what you want to hear, isn't it? And that's yeah. what we've been doing. So, you know, I would say most people who work at Generals would not feel the hand of a holding company, would not ever think about Omnicom or TBWA or any of those things. They've just really allowed us to get on with doing what we do best, which has been fantastic. Great. That's a really good story to hear. Um, now, I want to move on to your involvement in the Time 2 campaign. Yes. Um, do you want to just explain, if anyone who hasn't caught up with what that's all about? Sure. Uh, so I guess in the wake of the uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, Harvey Weinstein um, scandal and the Me Too movement in the States, a lot of people have been thinking and talking about sexual harassment. Uh, there was a particular evening um, about 18 months ago where Wackel held an event, uh, Wackel is Women in Advertising and Communications London, uh, talking about um, all sorts of issues at work. And the members of Wackel who attended that event were very, very shocked uh, and upset to hear real and present stories of sexual harassment happening in our industry. And I think those of us who had, you know, 
been presidents of Wackle and were older and wiser and, you know, um, more senior in the industry, had sort of assumed that sexual harassment was something that we had endured, but that was a thing of the past. And the most shocking thing is that there were a lot of young women in their early and mid-twenties, you know, sharing some pretty awful stories. So that particular event uh, kicked off a group of we called it, you know, seven angry women, but we, right. we sort of got together and said we need, to, we need to do something about this. And we were joined by the wonderful Stephen Woodford, um, uh, who's been involved right from the very beginning. Um, and uh, um, we've had great support from the IPA. So there's, it's a, there's, a, there's a combination of parties who are involved. But really the, the point of time too is to say it's time to end sexual harassment in the, in the advertising industry. We must all uh, act together, think together uh, and, and challenge this as an industry as opposed to individual companies. And NABs have been at the very heart of this. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just been something really important I really wanted to be involved in and, and try and make a difference on. And are you, I mean, the ads have been, I mean, the work you've done has also been great, which is terrific. Yes. Um, because we're in advertising, we want to see some powerful persuasion yes. in, in the communication, and I think you've done that. But I wondered if you have got any sort of measurement in place to, to try and get a handle on whether it's having any effect. I mean, like you, I was, I was quite surprised to find that it was still an issue in our industry. Yes. Um, it clearly is. I mean, how are you going to measure the effectiveness of the campaign? Can we enter it into an IPA effectiveness? Well, of course, we would love to do that. I mean, I think what, what really, and the wonderful Karen Fraser at the Advertising Association, Credos Research, has been central to us understanding the issue and then looking at how we can uh, make an impact. But so, I mean, in terms of being able to really measure the effect in a, in a quantitative way that would, that would fit an IPA effectiveness paper, not yet would be my answer. We've now um, got in hand some fundraising to make sure that we can, you know, we can get some, some research that will allow us to see the impact over time. But what we did do at the beginning of the programme was to do some research amongst nearly 3,000 people in the industry to understand the nature of the problem. And we have rerun some research. Unfortunately, we can't compare the two databases um, because we started out with a sort of anyone you know, please fill out this research within the industry via the Advertising Association, via NABS, via WACL, via Friends at the IPA. Um, and what we'd like to do is be able to have the funds to, to, to repeat the same research year in, year out. Mm -hmm. um, but we were able to say, look, here are the issues as they stand in the industry today. And that then led us to getting a code of conduct written, as well as the, um, the marketing campaign that you've seen. And we've got you know, 220 companies in the advertising industry signed up to that common code of, mm. of conduct, which is huge. And now we're researching amongst those companies uh, to see what, what, how attitudes are changing. And I, I, think what, I, mean, I think what's great about it is it, it sort of, how can I put it? I want, I want, it, it makes it easier for people to speak out because there's a sense that you're, you know it's not just you this is happening to it, yes. it is happening to you yes. God forbid but there's a sense that the, the, the industry is, is out there it's got your back you know it's listening it, would you say that was a, a I think that's absolutely record? right and we were very thoughtful in our um, strategic design and Andy Nairn was you know uh, really uh, instrumental in this you know how do you design a uh, a campaign which doesn't exclude people. You know, one of the big issues with the feminist movement at the moment is we've got 
women sitting and talking together about the issues that they're facing. And we've got a lot of men excluded from that and quiet. And actually what you have to do when you've got really difficult issues to face is to get people talking together. So we had this notion of how do we design a campaign that is not judgmental? A lot of people across the generations may have witnessed something inappropriate, been victim of something inappropriate, but also perhaps worried that have I crossed the line myself? Have I behaved inappropriately? Where is that line? And it isn't a simple case of there are a few evil people in the industry who should be thrown out and everyone else is good. There are shades of grey around this issue of harassment. And we are pretty shocked to find from our research a lot of people don't really understand what is and isn't appropriate behaviour. And they need help and they need rehabilitation, and we need to have discussion. And we can't say there's a bunch of bad guys over here and a bunch of good guys over here. We have to say we as an industry need to be talking about these things. We need to be alive to them. We need to speak up when we see them. We need to challenge and and not be uh, either willing or unwilling bystanders to this sort of behaviour. And so we've tried to deliver a a campaign and a way of speaking and a way of approaching the whole issue, which is inclusive. Mm. Um, And I think that's been... Very, very it's been helpful. well received, hasn't very, it? Very, I mean, very sort of And again, I have to that. say that the, the advertising industry press have been magnificent in their very, very proactive support. We mm. could, there's no media budget, so we couldn't have got the messages that we're bringing out, you know, whether it's around Cannes or whether it's around Christmas parties or, you know, different issues with different groups uh, in, in the business. We couldn't have done so that without their support. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking now just out of interest. When people came forward and said that this has happened to me, yes, it, you mentioned Cannes, you mentioned Christmas Park. Yes. Is there is there a link to to the sort of slightly partying lifestyle of advertising, or or it is isn't that straight? Too it isn't straightforward. But I mean, reading a lot of the um, verbatims in research, you know, there are moments of vulnerability. I mean, unfortunately, a predator is a predator, whether they've got a drink in their hand or not, um, and predators find ways to, you know. To, to go after inappropriate behaviour regardless. But there are some moments of vulnerability. People who work in our industry are often away for meetings. They may be away for a pitch or for a major presentation and there's a hotel involved. They may be at a conference. They may be you know, yeah. doing some socialising with their clients after, after a big shoot. You know, there, are, there are moments of vulnerability where... And they're probably higher, a higher number of those moments in our industry than in many other... I think, yes, there probably are. Yeah, there probably are. And I think different industries have different um, moments of vulnerability. So we, we've had some good communication with people in the publishing industry and also within the theatre industry where there are different kinds of problems and different moments of vulnerability. Mm. Uh, but certainly for us, those kind of away from home, out of context, you know, possibly alcohol involved, you know, all of these are moments where you are, you need to be extra vigilant. And so we have focused on, you know, moments like Cannes and moments like the Christmas party uh, where, you know, where the verbatims tell us there have been lots of, lots of problems. But the truth is sexual harassers are sexual harassers and they find ways mm. and means. Well, I mean, thank you on behalf of the industry for leading the charge. I mean, I, 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 mean, I don't work in an agency anymore, but I sense the place would be quite different to how I imagine it was when I was around in the in the eighties and the early nineties. 
You think, do you think agencies have cleaned their right act up? A I bit think they, we feel, I mean, and again, I can't take credit for the Time 2 committee, there's some astonishing people on that committee, and I'm just, you know, one of a, of, a, of, a, of a number of people who've really put in a huge amount of personal time and effort into this campaign. And I do think that uh, things have changed and they're better, but we're not changing far enough and fast mm. enough. Um, and so Time 2's latest initiative is to start instituting some training inside agencies. Inexpensive, not a big commitment in terms of time, but getting people to understand a bit more about the issue. Mm. And we think the more that we can get inside all of the, of the companies in, in our business and get people talking about it, the more change there will be, because we're not seeing enough change fast enough. No, I mean... And, you, know, you can't know. have one in four women who are under the age of 25 saying they've, they've been harassed in a given year. You can't have it. No. And we have to be you know, very strident in our determination. And this is about changing a culture, a whole culture of a whole industry. And again, I, I stress, this isn't about just weeding out one or two really, um, really appalling and predatory uh, people. This is about the culture of what mm. is and isn't acceptable behaviour in agencies uh, as a whole. Mm. And I'm, and I'm sort of, just to sort of, as it were, underline the work that's going on there, there's also, I think, generally speaking, a lot of work being done on inclusivity, generally Indeed. in advertising. And I know Indeed. you're a judge or now oh, I was such a, It was such an honour and yeah. a privilege to be part of that process. So Amazing. I, honestly, it, it feels, the it feels good, doesn't yeah, it? It feels good it feels to have an great. I-list rather than an A-list. Absolutely. Uh, which, and I think um, what's so clever about the I-list and one of the great things that's happening in business uh, generally at the moment is this notion of collaboration where it's appropriate, cooperation. And what I love about the I-list is they're going to be 25 people who are all in their individual companies doing amazing things, but they'll be able to get together. Mm. They'll be able to share ideas. This isn't a competition for I'm more inclusive than you. No. <laughs> this is this is about how do we all find a way to be a force for good? And I just think it's absolutely fantastic. Great. Well, look, well, thank you for doing that. Thank you for chatting to us. I hope that Lucky Generals will continue for many years to come. Thank you. And um, once again, thanks for having um, some time with us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Well, we certainly got our money's worth from Helen. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to her. I hope you enjoyed the listen. Uh, and if you're thinking of starting an ad agency, uh, you could do a lot worse than pay close attention to her career path. Um, proper inspiration. This has been Paul Bainspan, and this has been the IPA podcast. <laughs>